As we start, I want to introduce you to four young people in four vastly different locations. The first one I want to uh, introduce you to is a young man and his mother. She is a very godly mother. She, he knows his Bible. This child knows his Bible. He has a heart for God, but can he sustain it? He lives in a culture where he's going to face all sorts of persecution and may actually eventually have to go underground to even worship God at all. This next one is a young lady. Some of you may know her. She was abandoned. She's broken. She was broken in so many ways by her early years of, of abandonment. But she was protected from child trafficking because she was rescued by a Christian children's home. But is she actually getting what she needs to reach her godly potential? Here's a deaf child and her sister in yet another location. She actually lives in a society where deaf people get no secular education whatsoever. And she probably would never have even learned about Jesus because of that. Sometimes their own families can't communicate with them. The local missionaries have opened a school for the deaf there. But is it going to become like so many ministry efforts do over the years and in a few years be secular with a thin varnish of Christianity over it? This last one is a random U.S. teen. I hope no one knows this person because I don't. So <laughs> this is not actually representative of whoever this poor young woman is. But she represents the over 5,000 young people in the U.S. this year alone who will commit suicide. 10% of those suicides are in California alone. Half a million young people in our country are already addicted to opiates. And the statistics just go on and on. They're heartbreaking. And I'm not a big fan of these generational statistics, but I do think this one's interesting. Barna found that of children under the age of 19, only 4% currently have a golly worldview. That means 96% are at great risk of walking away from God if they even learn about him at all. Yet the average parent, even Christian parents, spend less than an hour a day interacting with their children, and most of those conversations are more logistical than spiritual. So how can our young people begin to get the godly, strong spiritual foundations they need and reach their godly potential with only minutes of discipling and spiritual instruction a week? Especially since we know from God's instructions in Deuteronomy to parents that it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to really parent them towards God. These young people give you a snapshot of the opportunities for ministry to children, teens, and their families. In many ways, it's the easiest group to reach, but also it's a group with many unique challenges. For decades, a crisis is building, although honestly, I suspect it has always been this way, just better disguised in the past because of societal norms. It's hard to measure who really is a strong, faithful, productive Christian. As we all know, many who attend churches are not actually living their faith on any level, yet even by the most lenient definitions, the church is in trouble. However, many church leaders still choose to ignore it, minimize it, or convince themselves attendance alone is equivalent to having a strong spiritual foundation. Or they might just throw, be throwing money at whatever the latest hot program is without knowing if it's really making a difference in the lives of their young people. Because here's why we're doing all this. No one wants the truth because the truth is not pretty. The truth is the problems that these young people have that are causing them to walk away from the church and from God are complex. They're difficult. They are not going to be easy to solve. And we've got to be willing to face that and own up to that. Um, we have to help parents raise children to grow their strong, faithful um, production Christians it requires changes, changes in how we're doing things. We historically have not wanted to put in a tremendous amount of time into our children's and youth ministries, and that's got to change. We've got to change that dynamic because it's easier for us to believe, and leaders especially, to believe, hey, this is the parent's deal. They're not doing their job. They need to get on it. It's not our problem, but it is our problem ultimately. Or let's just do what XYZ Famous Church is doing because they've got tons of young people going there, so that must be what they want. But is it really what they need? We have got to really examine what we've been doing, figure out why it's not working, what they really need, and how we can give them what they need to have those really strong, unshakable spiritual foundations and to reach their godly potential. It is complex, and it's going to require a lot of work. 
God can do anything, I get that, but he is probably not going to wave a magic wand over all of our children, and suddenly they're going to be strong Christians. He expects us to do our part, which is where the church comes in, because parents need our help. We need to have their backs, and I know we're not taking their place, although for some of them we're going to have to do that too, if they're fostering and adoption and other things like that. Many parents today have no earthly idea how to Christian parent effectively. In fact, any kind of parenting. I had my hairdresser before I came asked me what we were doing, and she said, she looked around, she whispered, she goes, we have no idea what we're doing. They are just guessing, and we need to help them figure it out. And the kids need our help too. Many are not getting anywhere close spiritually what they need at home. And those that are getting it, their parents need us to have their backs and reinforce what they are trying to teach at home. They need someone that says, yes, your mom and dad are right. These are important things you're learning. But this is what's beginning to scare me. I do a lot of research. Denominations are starting to slash and totally cut out any kind of Bible class programs for kids and teens. And I know you guys, a lot of you are leaders. I want to caution you because we tend to be a little bit behind the curve as far as trends and fads. Do not buy into this because this is an opportunity for us to shore parents up, to reinforce parents if we do it well. Don't follow the trend and cut out. I think I read the other day, up to almost 50% of denominational churches now have no form of Sunday school. Um, and the ones that do often, it's more of an entertainment type of thing than actually trying to teach them specific skills and knowledge-based things. So just be aware that trend is coming and try to avoid it. Now, some of you may be sitting here and go, I'm not in charge of a ministry. Why am I even really in here? But that's the thing. Each of you has an opportunity to change the lives of a child or a teen or a young person. Maybe one and maybe thousands. But we can't afford to be haphazard about it like we have in the past. We've got to be more intentional. Because we're fighting a culture war now that's even come into our churches. And we've got to help figure out to be effective ways to reach children and not just, oh, that looks good, or that looked good, or I had that, and really think about what we're doing. If you're someone that's not in charge of a ministry, you feel like you don't have any pull, it's okay. Share our free resources we're going to share with you, with your leaders. Talk about it constantly. Be that catalyst for change that's constantly encouraging parents and leaders to make these changes we're going to share. On your, on your desk, you have a Heart of Ministry handout. If you've been to one of our workshops before, you've probably seen this. But I want to review it and teach it to those that haven't seen it. And then I'm going to talk about it in a slightly different light for those that have. The Heart of Ministry, we've sat down and we figured out what does a child or a young person need to have a strong spiritual foundation. And these are the things that we think are wrapped up into that. They obviously need Bible knowledge. And a lot of times we're pretty good at that. They need to know what's in there. But I will say we are not giving them enough Bible knowledge, most of us. They don't need just the 20 basic stories. They need all those small stories. They need the prophets. They need the Psalms. They need the epistles. So make sure we need to up our game in there. They need application. And I'll talk about this more later. This is really scary. Go home and ask some of your teens if they know what they're supposed to get out of. Just pick any random Bible story. We're finding that we're doing a great job of teaching them the facts of a story, but not necessarily what to do, what God's trying to teach us with that story. And then it goes even beyond that. I was talking to a, a young couple that's uh, just gone into youth ministry, and they need the Christian life skills. So if you're teaching them about conflict resolution, let's say, or stewardship, they may want to do that. But if no one's teaching them how to resolve a conflict in a godly way or how to budget their money, they're not going to be able to do it, even if they have the best of intentions. And so we've got to start intentionally teaching them these Christian life skills. Also, this gift discovery, development, and use, and we'll talk about that more later. They need to figure out what their gifts from God are. They need to have a plan to develop those gifts. And then, this is key, they need to know how to use them to serve God. Most of our young people, if, they, if they've been lucky enough to figure out what their gifts are and develop them, they are still in the secular mindset, most of them. They think this is their, their job. This is their hobby. They don't understand they were also meant to be used for God and even how to do that. I had a conversation with a young, I guess she was in high school the other week, 
and she, I was like, oh, what do you want to do when you go to college, and those kind of conversations, and she's like, oh, I think physical therapy or dentistry, and she had been talking to me earlier about going on a mission trip, and I said, oh, that is fantastic. I wish you could go with me to Ukraine because I work with these populations, and they are dying for me to bring physical therapists with me and dentists with me, and she got eyes this big, and she's like, what? And I said, yes, they need those occupations to come in and help. She literally had no clue. And this is a child who was going on mission trips, who had strong Christian parents, had figured out some gifts, and did not have any clue how to put those pieces together. But boy, was she excited when she realized they did fit together. And I have those conversations constantly with young people. Um, also, servant leadership. And any of you have been in a church setting for more than five minutes know that both of those words we need to do work on, the servant part and the leadership part, to be more godly and effective. So let's start when they're young and they're trainable instead of having to correct bad habits later on. Now when you take those, that's not just enough because I've been talking to church young people. I get very suspicious when I hear some of the things I'm hearing about, oh, they're leaving because of this or they're leaving because of that. So I'm a curious person, and I start talking to these young people. Okay, come on, tell me, what's the real scoop? Why did you really leave? What's really going on? And I kept hearing the same things over and over and over, and it was nothing about what everybody's saying that it's about. So here are the four questions that I'm hearing in different ways, but it all basically boils down to this. They want to know, what does God want from me and for me, and how will accepting it change my life? I can't tell you how many young adults I've met that left the church and then came back. And I, was, I said, okay, tell me, why did you leave and what made you come back? I left because I never could see that it made a difference in anyone's life. And I came back because I messed up my life and I figured out why. Let's skip that part where they mess up their lives and let's show them up front why it's going to make a difference. They also want to know, what is my purpose on earth in the church? And that goes back to what we were just talking about. They don't know why they're here, and they don't know what they're supposed to be doing in the church. They don't necessarily feel like they have a place that the church needs them. And that is key. And the gift thing is a prime example. When they realize my church needs me to help with something, kids and teens get so excited about that. That connects them. And what is Christian community? My daughter just graduated from college here, and we have a lot of discussions about community and this generation coming through. Because of the way many of them were raised, they don't understand community. They don't understand the value of community and the positive things that you can be out of community because they've never had that. They've never experienced that, a lot of them. And so when they go to a church and they see um, squabbling or infighting and those sorts of things, all they see is the negativity. And they I don't need this. I can worship God on my own because they've done everything else on their own their whole lives. And so that is a, a danger point for our young people is we have to make them understand what the positive parts of being in that church community are. And then also, how can I be truly challenged to be who God wants me to be so I don't become complacent? Yes, also encouraged when it feels too hard. And we do a fairly good job of the end part of that, perhaps. But it's interesting how many young people I talk to that want and beg for that beginning part. And they have conversations with me. I am not being challenged at church. The lessons aren't challenging enough. I'm not being called to step it up. This is a generation that has been raised to be extremely competitive in everything. You can't just play football for fun or dance for fun or do art for fun. You're going to be a professional whatever it is from the time you're two. Maybe multiple professional things, evidently. And so they are used to being challenged to be their best and do their best at anything. And when they come to church, we're just like, nah, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. In fact, I just read a new book that's coming out that they sent me to review. That the entire book was basically being a mediocre Christian is great. Don't worry about it. God loves you, just chill. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, but they want to be challenged. And when they walk in and they're just told to love Jesus, which is what we think they want to hear, yes, they want to hear that, but they also want to be challenged. How can I be better? So these key are key, key questions. And I've actually found a couple of studies, not many people have studied this yet, but I have found a couple that seem to reinforce this. And every day I'm hearing more and more young people tell me this in their own way. In fact, 
I, I had to laugh. There's a teenager I know that put something on social media. I was like, I hope you know I'm going to talk about you, Pepperdine. I'm not going to use your name, but this is perfect. I needed you to say this, so thank you. Of course, she had no idea what I was talking about, but this is what she put on her social media the other day. If you've grown up in a church like I have, we've all heard the same stories. From the coat of many colors to feeding the 5,000, we could probably tell the stories backwards, but telling the meaning wouldn't be as easy. That's simply because we are not taught the meaning as we are the events. Why, you may ask or wonder, I certainly have. This is a 17-year-old, you guys. I sat down with her. I said, let's go to the coffee shop and just chat. Two and a half, three hours, this child sat with me, just basically asking me to help her figure out how to put the pieces together. And if you went to our church and you knew her family, you would say, that is a kid that would already have it all figured out and all together. Okay, so it's not, I'm not just talking about the kids that come once a year or twice a year or whatever. I'm talking about our really strong kids are not figuring out how to put it together. They're not talking about those things that we say they are, church names or songs or whatever the latest thing is everybody's all up in arms about. I think, honestly, those are things that old people come up with, us old people, because those are easy fixes. And maybe it's something we always wanted growing up that we couldn't do or weren't allowed to do or didn't like or whatever. And yeah, they'll, they may be happy if we make those changes or not happy if we don't or whatever, but that's not really what's causing them to walk away. It's this, because I've asked them. I was like, does it bother you that we don't do X, Y, Z? Well, yeah, kind of, sort of, but what I'm really concerned about is this. So we need to start doing that. And then um, when it gets out into the community, teens and children, it's even worse because they are really tossed about. They have no idea what is going to hit them next, and they have no idea how to handle it. And so they're turning to opiates, suicide. You look at any negative trend, and they're going through the roof. And it's because they absolutely have no earthly clue what to do. And the problem is, when they start looking towards Christianity and churches, all they're hearing is the, about the infighting and those sorts of things. And we've got to figure out a way to build a bridge so that they know that there's something of value there. And they can't articulate these questions, but they really have these same questions. They just don't know that they're filtering them through God. Um, now, I'm not an engineer, which you will find out as we talk. I'm sure there's probably some engineer there like, she knows nothing about that. Um, but I think that we do need to build these bridges. And what kind of bridges are we going to build? Um, I think many people may be walking into this room thought we maybe have these bridges, but I don't think they're there, or if they're there, they're not strong enough to get them over this chasm we've created between them and the church. And um, the first thing you need to do, though, is figure out where are we going to put this bridge? What is the best place to put it? Where is it going to help the most people get across that chasm? Because I don't care how large your congregation is, you can't do everything. You've got to figure out how are you going to get basically the most bang for your buck. And so where do we need to place them? And here's the part that you're really not going to like is it's probably going to be different from every one of you. Because the young people where you are and the young people where you are, and I'm sorry if you're in the same place, just pretend like you're not, but um, are going to have different needs. Now some of it's going to be the same, but just like those people, the young people at the beginning, some of it's going to be very different, and you have to figure out what is going to work best for the young people around you and their families. Because that's what happened, those of you that are old enough or have heard stories of bus ministries back in the 70s, that's what happened. We just did a cookie-cutter approach, and everybody did the same thing, whether it was really what their community needed or wanted. And that's one of the reasons it didn't work well. So we have to figure out what it's going to look like. Okay, so here's where it becomes fun. Um, I'm going to share some innovative ideas with you at the end, but you're going to have to do your homework first to know which one is going to work for you. So I'm going to talk about that homework first, and then I'm going to save the fun stuff to the end. The first thing you need to do is you're going to have to do a listening tour. And the key word here is listening. Um, most of our people, whether they're in the community or in churches, they know what they need that they're not getting, but we're not finding out about it because we're not really listening to people. Okay, um, we have got to stop wanting to live in the ignorance because that's easier. Um, we don't want to hear things because we're afraid we're going to hear things we don't like. And I get that. It's not fun if you say, well, what would you do to improve my ministry? And then they give you a list like that. You feel beaten up. 
But the thing is, you need to know that. They know things, and we'll share one idea at the end that that community found out because they went on this listening tour. And it's amazing. When I heard about it, I was like, why have I not heard of anybody else doing this? This is a phenomenal idea. But they got the idea because they were listening to people and not just guessing what they needed. I'm going to give you a, a handout at the end that's very thorough. We'll take you step by step about how to do a listening tour with best practices and even some sample questions. Um, we can't go through it even though we can cheat and go over a couple minutes. But I do want to give you um, a little, a couple little points before you read through this and try to do it yourself. One, you have to convince people to tell you the truth. We have uh, created a culture of nice lies, if, is what I call them. How was it? Fine. Did you like it? It was good. It may bear no resemblance to their real truth of how they felt about what's happening. Hearing fine and good does not help you. Okay, even if you don't like what you hear, that's what's going to help you. So you've got to do things to convince them that it's true. So when someone says fine or good, go, yes, but if you had to change one thing, if you could be me, if you could have the perfect world, anything like that will, that will convince them that you really want to hear everything in their heads. Because a lot of people have some brilliant ideas, but we're not hearing those either because we're not asking and they think we don't care. Um, also, you have to make it a no-judgment zone. When you start talking to people and they say, well, the curriculum for that is just horrible. My kids aren't learning anything. If you're the person that purchased that curricula and you know that that was the best of what's out there and there's not much better, it's really easy to say, well, but, I get that, but, and start going on, the, and they're just going to shut them down. And so I know that's temptation, just bite your tongue. There'll be time where you can teach or explain or educate later, but right now you just want to capture the information. And if you're tempted to say something back, just say, that's interesting, what makes you feel that way? What made you think that? That will get you more information. Remember, you're going, it's hard. I know it's hard, but just keep repeating yourself. I'm doing this for the information. I'm doing this to improve the ministry. This is not personal. Even if it feels personal, it is not personal. And also remember, just because it's their truth doesn't necessarily mean it is the truth, okay? So somebody may say, I, I hate it that you wear those shoes. He always wears those shoes. I hate those shoes. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the shoes or he has to change the shoes. That's just their truth. So you, that's why you have to talk to a lot of people too. Because even if they have the same problem or you think they have the same problem, there's usually a lot of different things that brought them there. And you need to give a wide enough scope so you're not just suddenly creating a ministry for one person that that issue just happened to be for one person in that bigger set. So that's why you've got to talk to a lot of people and kind of ferret it out. The other thing that you need to do is you need to go and go back and do some looking at hard statistics. It's really interesting to me sometimes when I go into work with people and they'll say, oh, we don't have any young people or any kids in our area, so we're having to go out. And then I start pulling up the statistics. I'm like, wait a second. You've got five elementary schools within two miles of your church building. You've got, ki you've got kids. <laughs> I mean, unless your school systems are busting them in from the other side of the world, you've got kids. So look at those statistics. I, I know it's hard to find really, really up-to-date statistics, but they're going to at least give you some more clues. For instance, I looked uh, for a church that I'm getting ready to work with. They have several thousand single parents. Somehow I found the statistic about Babe County, how many single parents. Right there, there's a clue. Um, they had uh, an income level that was slightly below comfortable. They weren't poor, poor, but they, weren't, they were struggling financially a bit. Look at the school statistics. Their testing scores show that there's some big academic issues with the students there. All of those give me clues, and when I put those side by side with what I'm finding for my listening tour, that's going to help guide me into what sort of new things that I might need to be doing. Um, so once we have all that down, we need to start looking at what materials we actually have. Because like I said, you're not going to be able to do everything. So even if, like we said before, she finds something that, she, oh, this would be great for the people in our community, and she finds the same thing in their different communities, 
they're also going to have different resources. And you've got to consider, um, I hope Lynn doesn't mind calling me calling her congregation out, but I went and talked with them, one of my favorite congregations, by the way, but um, I went and was working with them doing some seminars, and it was really interesting to me as we got to talking, they had a lot of professional special needs teachers in their congregation. And that was just like a natural fit because so many people aren't reaching out to kids and families with special needs. They had those resources there right in-house, and they didn't have to be the ones that taught because they do that every day, and that's exhausting, but they could train other people with those special skill sets. So that's what you start looking at your resources. But here's the other problem. Historically, our churches are horrible at helping people identify their gifts, develop them, and use them. And part of it, this is my personal opinion, and I would consider myself fairly aware of what my gifts from God are. Those gift forms that you see that are based on the Corinthian gifts, those things are confusing. Some of them really confusing, some of them a little confusing. And so over time I've realized we need to kind of step away. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with them, and yes, they're wonderful, but it confuses people who are trying to figure out what their gifts are. Because those are so nebulous, a lot of them. And then we say, well, this one does still happen, and that one may not, and it just confuses people. Go back to the Old Testament and the story of the building of the tabernacle, where God gave the people gifts to build a tabernacle, and they're more of those arts and crafts kind of gifts. People can put those, their brains around that because it's concrete. We've developed a brand new form. Some of you may have seen our old form, but we've changed it and updated it a lot. It's a softer approach. It will require more analysis than a grid, but really should be having conversations with people anyway and not just handing out forms and taking them back up and sitting on somebody's desk where they stay until the end of time um, with nothing done, which is what's everywhere, everywhere I've ever been that's done, that's what's happened. Um, and so take the softer approach and pull out those creative gifts. Because what we've done um, in the past is because we've done a poor job, we have a lot of people that won't volunteer anymore. And part of it because they were placed in areas that they were not gifted in and then placed there forever. So they were burned out and they were miserable because they were doing something God never really wanted them to do to begin with. There's somebody else there that should have been doing that but you just haven't found them yet. Um, and then once you have them too, you need to have some training. You have to train them. Most people's skills are underdeveloped unless they do whatever it is professionally because they didn't even realize that you had it until five minutes ago. So they haven't had the training. We've got to train them and we put that off because we say people don't want to train, they're already giving us our time. But if you break down the ministry into bite-sized, gift-sized pieces, people aren't going to be so overwhelmed. If you're asking me to teach Sunday school, write my curriculum, buy the stuff for it, cut all the stuff, decorate my room, do 57 other thousand things, I'm exhausted. You're right. I don't want to go to training. But if my gift is teaching or my gift is room decorating and we have training for that little piece, I'm going to be much more likely to be excited because it's in my area of giftedness. I already love it anyway. And so don't discount the training. Um, also, don't discount when people say, well, I only type, or I only organize, or I only get at shopping. Honey, here's my budget, here's my list. Have at it. Go for it, you know? So when people say, I only get them to write it down, or you write it down. Those are your clues to these little undiscovered things. This next one. I have just started putting this in my workshops because I'm just coming to realize that this is heartbreakingly true. Barna just came out, and some of you may have seen this, 51% of Christians don't know that we're supposed to be converting people. 51%. That's terrifying to me. 51%. I'd be interested for us to go home in the Church of Christ and see if that's a little bit higher. I'm not sure that it would be, necessarily. We're not going to convert people if people don't know that that's one of our main tasks from God, is to be converting people. And we have all these ministries in the community, and we say that they're about converting people. But if our volunteers from our churches don't know that that's one of our primary goals with those community people, it's no wonder we have these uh, day, day camps and all these things that we do and we're not having conversions. It's because our volunteers don't realize that's one of their top priorities. And then this one really floored me. I just had this happen in a class a few months ago, and I'm still not over it. it but it, boy, did it wake me up. There was, uh, I was in a class, and someone raised their hand and said, um, someone asked me about 
God and studying and the Bible. And I didn't know what version of the Bible to tell them to get. I didn't know what to tell them to read. I didn't know what to say to them. Now, I want to tell you, this person knows their Bible upside down, backward and forward. You ask a question, they can tell you where it is. I can't even tell you exactly where it is. I'm not that kind of person. Go, well, you know, in Luke 3, 2, that's just, this kind of person could do that. She doesn't know how to share faith. And I started talking to people. Our people don't know how to share their faith anymore. They don't know what to say. When someone says, I want to share their faith, uh, uh, let me call my preacher. Okay? That's not going to be very effective. So we've got to start training people again. And I know we got burned a few decades ago, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it doesn't have to be that hard. I mean, look at the conversions in Acts. It's not like you have to have some color-coded, complex system to teach someone how to become a Christian. So we've got resources that are free online. We have blog posts talking you through that. We have actually a full-on baptism study with a leader guide for those that want to do it with students or if you have parents. Um, we've got a lot of positive feedback from parents who want to study with their own children. kind of just helps them keep organized more than anything else. We've got three brand new resources here today that when you train your people, you can send them home with them. They're kind of like quick start sheets that they'll have to remind them when they're getting ready to study with someone, just kind of what you went through. You need to give them enough practice where they feel comfortable doing it too. Um, because if they don't, they're still not going to do that. And the same thing is with the strong spiritual foundations. They've got to keep doing that. So please, please, please make sure all of your people know how to study their, the Bible with someone. Um, now, at this point, and some of you have done this with us, it's time to develop a God-driven strategic plan. Now, some of you have been in business or in, are in business, and you're going, oh, boy, I know where this is going. Some of you are anti-strategic plan. This is God's thing. And that's what I'm saying. I call that the business model and the meandering model, where we just kind of go like this. What I'm proposing is more of a hybrid, all right? It's got a lot of the elements of the business model to keep you organized, but it gives a lot more room for God to work through it, around it, and in it than we normally do when we do those business plans in church. Because normally in the business, when we say strategic planning church, we do a flat-on business model. We figure it all out. We say, okay, we're going to pray for X summer days, and then we just kind of rubber stamp it and move on, and even if we get a lot of negative feedback or whatever. So we need to move away from that strict business model and put God more back into it. Um, I know I have brought enough for those of you that can't have me come out to help you guys. I'm going to have a mini breakfast tomorrow morning at the crack of dawn um, in the calf for those. I've brought sheets so you can go home and do it. I'll walk you through it in about an hour from 6 to 7. So I do have do sign up for that though so I'm getting a bit of enough tables pass it around. If you don't have time or can't get up that early in the morning, you can also sign up for an individual session. And that's even if you have questions about anything and just want to talk with me. Just put your name and cell, and if you have a specific time that you prefer, um, go ahead and sign up for that too. And I will give you, go through that or anything else you need. So, um, but do have that strategic plan because what that does is it's recognizing God and giving him the power. It gets everyone on the same page so that you're speaking the same language. A lot of the conflict comes because your definition of a great children's ministry and your definition are totally different. And so you're saying it's great, you're saying it's horrible, and you're not even really talking about the same thing. So this gets us all on the same page of what our expectations are and if we're meeting those or not. It captures unshared nudgings of the Holy Spirit. I talk about these guys all the time. When we did that one where, I forget what her name was, and she's like, I don't want to say it, but... You know, and it turned out like several people at the table, right, had been thinking the exact same thing. The Holy Spirit had been nudging them, I firmly believe, for a period of time, but all of them had not been, had been afraid to share their nudging of what they thought their ministry should be doing. And then when it came out, it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But that would never have happened if they hadn't all sat in the same room and started going through that process. So that's really key if you want talking about the Spirit moving. That's the way to see a movie. Um, if you're... So make sure you sign up if you want to learn more about that. And like I said, I have the handouts. You can take it home and do it yourself. Now, some of you are sitting there going, lady, I can barely do what I'm doing. I do not have time for a listening tour. I do not have time for a strategic plan. And I get that. Your time is valuable. 
But a lot of the reasons you're running in circles is because you haven't done this and nobody's done this. And it's like, oh, I got to put out fire here. Oh, we need to be working this. Oh, we need to do that. Oh, we need to do that. If you take a step back and you do your listening tour, you do your resource development of your people, you do your strategic plan, everything is going to run more smoothly. Everything is going to be more effective. And you're not going to have quite as many fires to put out. So, and even if you can't finish it, you will make some improvements from just starting the process. But if you can finish it, it's going to save you a lot of time and effort because also in the process, you may think that you need to be going over here. And when you work through the process involving these other people, you're going to realize that's not where God wanted you to go at all. And you would have wasted a lot of time and money and heartbreak going in a totally wrong direction. So it does save you time. I know it doesn't seem like it. I mean, Lynn can tell you it takes a while to go through it, but it is worth it if you can persevere on through it. Um, so, as you go through the process, this is going to be very hard for some of us to accept, and it's hard for me sometimes. We have got to start listening to our critics. We have somehow developed a culture in Christianity that anybody that says anything negative is automatically labeled divisive, and what they say is dismissed. And we are suffering because of it. We have developed a situation where there's almost a groupthink mentality, and we need to stop. Our critics are not trying to destroy us. Yes, there are a few people out there that are like that, but the vast majority are actually really passionate about your ministry. They're passionate about their church. Their neg what we say is their negativity is coming out because they want to make it stronger and better. But what we say is, no, you're being negative. I don't need to listen to this. And we won't humble ourselves long enough to hear them out. They may have nothing value of value in what they say, but we've got to stop immediately dismissing and consider everything they say carefully before they dismiss it. Because of their educational life experiences, they may see things we're not seeing because we're on top of it. And so we've got to embrace it. Um, and save ourselves that heartache because we didn't listen. It's really interesting to me over the years growing up in the church watching um, <clears throat> whenever somebody proposes a new ministry or new take or theology or whatever it is and they say let's pray about it and see what the Holy Spirit says. Have you ever noticed the Holy Spirit is always in favor of it? <laughs> Every single time the Holy Spirit is always in favor of it. He is just gung-ho for everything and then you look at the Bible, and you go back and look at the Holy Spirit. And you look how about how he, what he told the prophets to say. What he told the people in the New Testament, the New Testament writers to say. Even look at Acts. This is the one that always threw me. You look at Acts, and a missionary, Paul or whomever, wanted to go somewhere and do something really good. Remember? And the Holy Spirit like, mm -mm, not today, you're not. You're going over here. Now, he may not pick us up and throw us over there anymore. But there was a lot of what we would label negativity from the Holy Spirit back then. And I honestly don't believe that suddenly the Holy Spirit has had a radical personality change and it's just there to rubber stamp everything and anything we want to do. So we've got to believe that some of these negative things that are coming back to us are coming from the Holy Spirit. And we've got to take the time to discern which ones are and start paying attention. Because sometimes I think we're missing important messages from God, if nothing else about his timing. Sometimes we may be doing exactly what God wants us to do, but the timing is just off. And we, we just oh, it's just not working, it's just not working. Because we didn't listen to the Holy Spirit when he sent someone to tell us to wait six months to start it. And then all of a sudden it starts working. Well, we just wasted six months of unnecessary angst and heartbreak and energy because we didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. So don't automatically dismiss everything. Think about it and then decide whether or not. And remember, new is not always better. There are a lot of new ideas that come through as I do my research that I have to reject because I know they're not necessarily better. You have to look at what the Holy Spirit is telling you about what you're trying to do that's new or what you read about that's new. Look at it through scripture. Look at the people and circumstances, the way the Holy Spirit works. New is not always better. 
Okay, so let's not just always, oh, it's new. It's definitely going to be the right thing to do. Even what I'm saying may not always be the right thing to do. You've got to figure it out. Also, when you're building your bridge, it is important to stay focused or you're going to end up building a lake house, which is beautiful, but it's not helping anybody get across the water. This is what is called mission drift. Now, there is a book by Peter Greer by the same name. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend you read it and give a copy to every elder, every ministry leader in your church. It's a phenomenal book. Um, it's scary. It is so scary when this author starts talking through these large Christian organizations that everybody thinks are so wonderful and you realize how secular they actually are. And I don't mean that by the way the people are acting. I mean by their mission, their, what they're doing it's become totally secular. It is really easy to drift. And one of the ways to stop the drift is to constantly talk about your top priorities. Figure out what those are. You know two of them. One is to convert anybody that's not a Christian. And the other one is to help everybody build stronger spiritual foundations. That should be talked about constantly with everyone in your ministry. And, and, and reviewed and everything analyzed through those filters. Is this helping us convert people? Is this helping us build stronger foundations? And if it's not, you need to reject it. There are entire churches now that are totally secular because they're so focused on felt needs and fun and all those sorts of things that they honestly don't even try. They won't even pretend to try to convert anybody or tell them anything about what's in the Bible. They are totally secular nonprofits now. So be very, very cautious that you're not actually running a secular nonprofit instead of a ministry. And, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do secular outreach things. Let's face it, if a child is starving to death and they're sitting there having eaten 36 hours, they're not hearing anything you're saying about God or Jesus. They need food. If a parent's freaking out because her kids are flunking out of school, she's not listening to your Christian parenting tips. So we do need to do the Christian outreach, the secular, more secular sorts of things. You just not need to lose focus on the faith foundations and the conversions. So what's this finished bridge going to look like? You're not going to know for sure until you've done all your homework that we've already talked about. But there are some creative, effective things I've seen work in various locations. Remember, though, they might work for you and they may not. You've got to go back to your homework and make sure that it's a match before you get started. And remember, learn from other people that have done this before, but don't necessarily automatically just do everything they've done. Because particular circumstances to your area or your situation may need, mean you need to tweak it or totally change it. Or you may find out that what you're copying is actually a secular nonprofit and not a, not a church, even though it's from a church. So be really, really careful. Um, there are three ways generally that you can reach out to young people and their families. You can focus just on the young people. You can focus just on the parents, thinking you're going to solve that piece of the puzzle. Um, it's interesting, right before I wrote the third way, right after I wrote it actually, I, start, I saw an article on it. So this is coming down the pike. You're going to hear a lot more about this, and that's the hybrid method. The hybrid method is where you are working with the young people, you're working with the parents, and you're putting the pieces together, hoping that working with both sides of the equation is going to be a stronger result. There is an excellent secular example of this um, that I encourage you to read up on. It's called the Harlem Zone. It's out, obviously out of Harlem. It's Jeffrey Canada's group. There's a great couple of great books out there about what they've done that you can see and understand how that hybrid mo uh, model works. And I've seen a lot of different models, and that's going to be the most effective. Now, you may not be able to get to that at the beginning, but that's what you should be moving towards. Um, there's a lot of new things coming out for that, I'm sure, in the next few years, so watch for it. But that's, that's what's coming, and that really is going to be what works the best. There are also numerous general, general populations of kids, teens, and parents your ministries can touch. Each of these groups is usually underserved or unwelcome churches and as a result extremely open to anyone who offered to walk with them. And these are, I'm going to start with, this one may surprise you, but the kids are already attending your congregation. Um, we think we're serving this group, but are we really? How are your kids and teens struggling in life and at home and in their spiritual lives, just like the teen I shared with you earlier in my own church? Um, they're going to need the, the serving and faith sharing just as much as kids in your community these days. They need help sorting out culture's lies. Right now there are a lot of lies in parenting in the secular world. 
that parents are following that's actually hurting their children spiritually. And we've got to help them figure out what things are good for their kids in God's eyes and what things are not. Um, they also need to um, look at all the curricula you're using carefully. We have a classroom evaluation tool if you have not had that before. Take that and analyze every single class, even if they're using the same basic curricula, and see how strong your classes really are. It's always funny to me when I go somewhere and I'll, I'm just visiting, and I'll, and I'll say, oh, we, oh, you do what? Oh, we have great classes for our kids and our teens here. They're wonderful. And then I start talking to them, and I, I, the light bulb goes off. Their kids are getting about this much of what they think they're getting from what they're doing. Okay, so don't be lulled into sense security. Well, this is the such and such a company. Everybody's using it. It's great. It's fun. It's wonderful. You're not necessarily sure until you take this evaluation tool and look at what's going on and see and if they're really learning that much. Um, also, you can look at kids who are struggling academically. That's one that's usually done quite a bit in a lot of places. Special needs. This is a new area of passion for me because of some mission work I'm doing in another country. I've done a lot of research and I'm kind of heartbroken because I'm realizing we're writing off a lot of people because they have special needs as being unable to become Christians and unable to become participatory active Christians. And I think that was a big mistake on our part. So um, I really want us to start revisiting that and thinking that about that special needs segment more. And not more people are starting to become aware of that, but there still is a great pushback to parents with kids with special needs. Generational poverty, this is not only highly underserved, but a lot of the ministries that are serving in these areas are being underfunded and having their funds cut because churches are shrinking or whatever. So these generational kids in generational poverty, especially in areas where the academics uh, that they're available to them in public schools are not great, is a huge opportunity. Immigrants and refugees, another large opportunity, especially in many large urban areas. Have parents who struggle with addiction or struggle with addiction themselves. My husband's on the board for the Christian Foster Care Agency in our state. I think the number of foster children quadrupled this year in our state because of opioid addiction. It's going through the roof. So this is a huge population that needs help. Um, have one or more parents in prison. How often do we ever talk about that? One or more parents in active military service. You guys that are near military bases, you know it's hard to be the spouse that stays home or the kids that have both parents off serving somewhere. Have parents in sexual trafficking. I live in Atlanta. It's a hub, one of the top hubs for sexual trafficking. Um, it goes on all the time. We're just not aware of it because of the way we live our lives. Um, have parents who are divorced. There's brokenness from that that needs help healing. Are abused or orphaned in foster care or adoption situations. Doing a lot of resources, uh, research on this for something I'm getting ready to teach. Kids that are adopted, even as young as just a few months after birth, have brokenness that happens because of their birth parents that needs to be healed, and we need to help people know, learn how to do that. And finally, those that are lonely and adrift with no significant adult influence in their life. And I'm afraid to tell you that that's a lot of young people now. They have very little meaningful adult interaction in their lives at all. And it's really sad. Now some of you may have internally cringed a bit at one of these categories or more of these categories or may know people that would cringe a little bit. And that's why it's so important we start reaching out to these people because there are a lot of Christians that feel that way. And these are people we are basically writing off because they're too hard. But the reality is I'm realizing because I work all through this spectrum is every child is too hard now. Every family is too hard. And so we have just got to do the work. We've just got to put our shoulders to the plow and do the work. And so we've got to start embracing these populations of young people because when we don't, they're lost. They are lost and we need to be heartbroken about that. And we're not as much as I think we should be. And so don't write these off because they're hard. A lot of these things, prison, who's ministering to those people? Addiction, we've gotta step it up, you guys. Um, 
Now here's some of the, here's the fun part. Here are your ideas. Get it out, get it ready. Um, this one I would love, if some church would love to partner with me to help me develop this, um, to share freely with everybody else. I want to copy something from the Harlem Zone, the secular group I've talked about that make it Christian. They have what's called a baby university and a toddler college. What they do is they have classes for every stage of parenting that teaches them parenting skills. In our case, we would teach them Christian parenting skills. So from before they're born, they go through several weeks of classes, and we would tell them of things that would help them lay the groundwork for when their kids get older. For example, loving that baby, hugging that baby enough, nurturing that baby, opens that baby up to the next step where you do the next thing. And we assume that parents know these things. I was shocked. I was... <laughs> doing some training, you're going to do some training for some, a group of parents somewhere. And I thought, I said, are you sure you want me to do this? Because this stuff I'm talking about is pretty basic stuff. Because they wanted me to do something I'd done with inner city parents that were non-Christians. And they're just like, oh, no. Most parents anymore don't even know to do the basic, what we would consider basic parenting things. So having that baby university and having it at every stage through the Christian parenting journey keeps us from having to go back and correct. As a church, we have a history of going back and trying to correct people's mistakes. We work with people in their marriages after they're about ready to divorce, not from the very beginning. So we need to be a lot more proactive. Um, there are going to be more resources coming out over the years. Like I said, this is the new trend. Because Harlem Zone is so successful, people are picking up on that. I've got to caution you, just like I do with the curriculum you buy for your kids and your teens. I used to be in publishing years ago. Nothing that you're going to be able to purchase is going to be perfect. Anything that you buy needs tweaking or radical changes. And the master secular teachers will tell you that's what they do. They add to it, they change, they enhance it in some way because that's where it's most effective. Because the reality of publishing is they got to make money. And to make money, you've got to make it as easy as possible, and you've got to make it as reach a broad spectrum as possible, which means it loses effectiveness every time they do that. So just be aware, if you're not changing things, it's not being as effective as you want it to. We have workshops that can help you be effective in how you change that, uh, or you can talk to me, sign up for one of the, the separate meetings, but that's important. Um, special interest Bible studies. I learned about this in... Um, Ukraine, the work I'm doing there, they have a ministry that's encouraging parents to keep their special needs children and raise them. And so they have special interest boxes for their parents that see the Bible through those lenses. It's just more helpful for them. Same thing with special parenting classes and workshops. I've been doing them, um, starting to do them now for Christian foster parents to teach them not just to keep the child safe for the time they help it, but actually help that child start to heal and grow. There are things that we could be proactively teaching. Um, I have another one I do with unchurched urban parents to teach them basic skills. There's some simple things you can do that will reduce the incidence of abuse by over 67%. Um, so those sorts of things that we can do, and I, none of that material is online on our site, so come talk to me if you have interest in that. Fathering ministries. A lot of the research in secular studies backs up God, but it doesn't get it into the media. Um, A, because research is not necessarily connect the dots, but B, because when the research backs up God, it's usually against what culture is currently trying to make parents believe is okay or people believe is okay. So it didn't get the publicity. Fathering is a great one. Kids need their fathers, need involved fathers, but unfortunately a lot of young fathers were raised by daycare centers and babysitters and coaches, and they don't know how to father. So we've got to proactively teach men how to be Christian fathers. We do that, need to do that for women too, but women often have more resources available to them than the men do. Marriage ministries, as I just said a minute ago, let's not wait till the marriages are falling apart. Uh, most churches do something, but it's usually very sporadic. Let's consistently be working with these people on their marriages so they're strong because that's going to make their family stronger. Prayer support groups. Some of you may have been in mom and touch groups in the past. I would love to see churches have specialized prayer groups for parents dealing with special issues with their children that they can connect and, and be um, support groups for each other. Activities that connect parents and kids in meaningful ways. A lot of you do fun stuff with your kids and your teens and their parents together as a connection point, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but take it up a notch. Um, we work with some parents in a public school situation where we are. They allow churches in public schools after school, 
And what we did is we would have things like I had a Bible escape room that the kids would do with their parents, or they would have a problem-solving activity or building activity. But what we did within that activity, they were actually also learning a parenting skill, a Christian parenting skill. And then after it was over, we talked about what that skill was and how they could keep doing fun things at home to keep doing those important parenting things. And then gave them a free parental, a printable parenting worksheet to take home with tips on it to remind them to keep doing those things. So try to make those fun times have some meaning to them. You double as an educational thing because it was good too because then the kids heard what their parents were going to be doing so they weren't shocked if something was a drastic change in their household all of a sudden like what happened um, so those are use those opportunities that you have also safe places if you're in an area where there's sexual trafficking um, drug selling going on or it's so poor that parents are uh, leaving very very young children at home by themselves because they can't afford childcare. Um, I worked with a group in Atlanta that tries to get people out of sexual trafficking and, they, and drug abuse, and they pretty much live in the same hotel environment. And actually, the young people came to them and asked them for a safe place to be at night because their parents were conducting illegal activities and they were being thrown into the hall with all these dangerous people coming and going while their parents did all this stuff and they wanted somewhere safe. So just be aware that's a need out there that's very unique. Um, meeting them where they are, I love this. My daughter and her friend, there's a coffee shop in Atlanta called the Crazy Love Coffee Shop. Doesn't matter where it is, but it has these community tables. And what this lady did was she sat there with something interesting at the community table. And as people came up to her, she just ministered to them. This could happen in a playground. So if you're one of these people that you just want to do something on your own to minister, this is a great thing. Um, we make fleece blankets. That's a way that we work with um, parents at danger for abusing their children to help them remind them to hug on their children and love on their children for five minutes a day. That's something great that you could do at community tables, get them to help you cut those or tie the knots and that kind of thing where young people come up and then you could minister to them or have a little activity for the kids that they could come up with their parents and do and those sorts of things and then minister as those people do. For our actual young people, as we talked about the teens, we have a teen curricula. Christian life skills, you don't have to do that in a Bible class setting, you could do that on your own. My university had what they called Life After Dog Street, which was actually Duke of Gloucester, it's just an acronym, but what they did was they gave us adulting skills before we graduated to make sure we knew how to do things, but give these young people Christian life skills so they can give money to God because they know how to budget and actually have money to give to God and to eat. Um, service, a lot of you do service projects and mission trips and you're wondering why it's not doing what you thought it would be doing, it's because we're not doing it in ways that are helpful, if I can put it that way. We need to make some major shifts in how we're doing these things, doing the same projects, but just doing some of the things around them in different ways so that they're um, helping the kids put all the pieces together, because they really are the best way to help them start putting all the pieces together if we do it more intentionally. Um, we have a mission trip that we plan that we would love, a mission group of older teens and up to come to Atlanta where they're actually getting the training and serving every day. There's a huge chunk of training and a huge, it's like a boot camp basically, of working all different kinds of children in all kinds of different settings, but learning the different needs of the different groups. Um, we also will um, have a new workshop that we are ready to pull, pull out helping congregations set those service opportunities and mission opportunities so that their kids and teens and families are learning more and growing spiritually. Or if you're coming to Service Unites Convention in Atlanta, the Points of Light Foundation in June, we're doing a seminar there, but make sure you sign up because they've already had to move us to a bigger room. A lot of you do tutoring. Make sure it has meaningful Bible ties. Um, use, look at our activities online. A lot of faith-based tutoring does not. Mentoring programs, if you have a formal mentoring program, train your mentors, people, train them. I was on a, taking somebody to La Brea Tar Pits the other day and all the school field trips were out there. The parents that were taking these kids around were saying the craziest thing. They were literally making stuff up as they went around. Like this, they were working on fossil this big and some parent goes, that's a rabbit tooth. So train your mentors, because if not, you have no idea what's going on as they're mentoring people. So make sure your mentors are mentoring them well. Think outside of the box. When you start doing your listening tour, this is the one that I was telling you about. I thought it was so cool. This church is helping young people expunge their records. They had misdemeanor offenses as juveniles, and you can expunge those under certain circumstances, but these young people didn't know it, and they couldn't get jobs, and they couldn't get into colleges. This church figured out it was a huge need, and that's what they were doing to reach out to the community. Um, 
let's be honest, the short-term things are easier, they're cheaper, they're more fun, but the effects are gonna be that way. When you look at the research, if something's good, if your children's ministry is good, but your teen ministry is anemic, those effects of the good children's ministry are gonna start going downhill for most of the kids, they're gonna lose them. And that's why Title I in the secular didn't really work because it didn't go all the way through. And that's not an excuse for us not to improve what we can improve, but it's an encouragement to improve everything. We've got to work better as a team and support each other and make sure all of our ministries are strong so it's strong throughout and we don't lose any of the, the momentum we gained. We have a lot of free resources to help you. We have free less Bible lessons on hand, over 200. Most kids in most literature will get 30 to 40 total. We have over 200 in the online in activities for Sunday schools, Bible classes, faith-based tutoring, mission field, sustenance and survival training, everything that have meaningful ties to the Bible. We have some of our free training materials online. We have free printable parenting resources where your bookmarks one. There's a few you can pick up at the end. We have the blogs we've talked about. We have the e-books. We also have one if you're taking a mission trip serving teens for best practices. They're all free. Free consultations, make sure you sign up. Facebook groups, sign up. We give challenges every day. We have workshops and seminars we can come to you. Um, and the mission trip that we explained. If you're discouraged after all this thinking, oh man, I thought I was going to get up and I'm down, just remember the little boy in his lunch. He just had that one little lunch and Jesus could feed 5,000. Just take the next right step. Improve one thing, do one thing, and just keep walking forward, and you'll be amazed what God can do with it. Um, we often don't worry about quality or results in ministry because we say we're just scattering seeds. Don't worry about it. Let God do it. But have you ever thought about that verse? Look at it again. It says Apollos watered it. I think we've been throwing seeds out of a speeding crow window into the desert and then wondering why they're not taking It's because we're not watering them. So we need to have those ministries now that start watering them. I hope you'll join me in stepping up and making a difference in these lives.